from the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. When a beautiful, intelligent young woman pitted her three fiancés against each other, someone would die. Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. Alaska has always attracted adventurers. Whether for a love of the great outdoors or an imagined opportunity to get rich, young people from around the globe flock to the state each year. Substantial economic booms have defined Alaska over the years, including the gold rush during the early 1900s and the building and early operation of the Trans-Alaska Oil Pipeline in the 1970s. Commercial fishing heydays have also occurred when prices have skyrocketed for seafood such as Pacific salmon, herring, and of course, king crab. These economic peaks transformed Alaska in many ways, both good and bad. The oil boom brought a great deal of money to the state, and workers, mostly young men, rushed to Alaska from the lower 48, hoping to land prosperous pipeline jobs. Criminals followed the money to Alaska and exploited every possible angle to relieve oil field workers from their paychecks. Drugs flooded the state, and topless bars from Fairbanks to Anchorage popped up overnight. In the intervening decades since the building of the pipeline, things have mellowed. Anchorage still has problems with drugs and crime, but these issues resemble those of every other U.S. city. Most of the topless bars have long since closed, and the wild frontier spirit in Anchorage is gone. One of the most famous striptease clubs in Anchorage, though, has managed to survive the changing times. The Great Alaskan Bush Company remains open today, and it is central to the crime I am profiling in this episode. On May 2, 1996, two Chugach electric workers inspecting the transmission grid across the Kenai Peninsula stopped to check electric meters near Hope, Alaska, when they noticed a bright red patch of red on the power line trail. When one of the workers walked toward the object, he realized it was a man lying on the path. Once he got closer, he saw the man was dead, his mouth agape, and one side of his face smashed open and bloody. The worker noted several bullet casings on the ground and knew someone shot the man, and this was a crime scene. He called Alaska State Troopers, and Trooper Rodney Pilch hurried to the scene. Trooper Pilch noticed the victim had a chest wound, a massive hole in the face, and a line of dried blood trailing from his left ear. The victim's wallet and checkbook protruded from the right pants pocket. 
Pilch learned from the driver's license the dead man was Kent LePink, 36, and he lived in South Anchorage. LePink's checks also listed another account holder. Her name was Michelle Hughes. Michelle had a Wasella address 60 miles north of Anchorage. Pilch also found an insurance form in LePink's pocket, listing a change of beneficiaries on his life insurance policy. The trooper pulled keys to a Dodge Omni from LePink's pocket, but since there was no vehicle at the murder scene, Pilch guessed someone, possibly LePink's murderer, drove away in the vehicle that brought LePink to this trail. Trooper investigator Ron Belden and Sergeant Steve DeHart were the first detectives to arrive on the scene. DeHart became the lead investigator on the case. Detectives determined an Israeli-made Desert Eagle semi-automatic pistol had fired the 44 caliber casings scattered on the ground. The medical examiner stated the killer first shot LePink in the back and then shot him twice more after he fell to the ground. Troopers learned the Anchorage address listed on LePink's checks belonged to a house owned by John Carlin. Since no one was home at the Anchorage residence, investigators drove to the Wasilla address listed as the home of Michelle Hughes, the other name on LePink's checks. When they arrived at the house in Wasilla, they found Hughes, John Carlin III, and John Carlin's son, John Carlin IV, all working in a storage shed at the rear of the house. The three told troopers they were gathering items from the shed to take back to Carlin's home in South Anchorage. They claimed they were looking for possessions their housemate, Kent LePink, stole from them and then hid in the shed. They said Kent lived with them when he wasn't on his fishing boat in Prince William Sound. One of the detectives told Michelle that Kent LePink had been found murdered. Michelle told authorities she just returned from a vacation with her boyfriend, Scott Hilke, at Lake Tahoe. Michelle said she didn't know anyone who would want to kill Kent, but she did acknowledge Kent might have enraged someone because he was sneaky and often untruthful. Michelle appeared very upset by the news of LePink's death, but the trooper did not buy her display of grief. Her reaction seemed staged. As troopers investigated the death of Kent LePink, they uncovered a complex web of lies, seduction, and betrayal, with Michelle Hughes at the center of it all. Michelle was only 23 years old when someone murdered Kent LePink on a remote trail, but the beautiful young woman already had accumulated three fiancés who lavished her with furs, jewels, and money. Born in New Orleans, Michelle Hughes was bright and ambitious. At 16, Michelle left New Orleans and moved to New York to pursue a modeling career. While she did land some jobs, modeling was not the get-rich scheme she expected. And Michelle decided if she wanted to find a good job and marry a respectable man, she needed to get a college education. To earn enough money to pay for her tuition, Michelle cashed in on her looks and body, and she did not mind taking risks to reach her goal. After a few years in New York, Michelle returned to New Orleans and began working as a stripper at a nightclub. 
When Michelle turned 21, she decided she could earn even more money working as a stripper in Alaska, where businessmen, fishermen, and especially oil field workers had surplus money to spend on gorgeous young women. Michelle moved to Alaska and got a job dancing at the Great Alaskan Bush Company. Michelle was not much of a dancer, but she was good-looking, charming, and smart. Men seemed helpless in her presence, and they gave her furs, jewelry, and cash. Michelle often made between $1,000 and $3,000 a night in tips dancing at the Great Alaskan Bush Company. She also formed relationships with several of her fans outside of business hours, and her unfortunate marks gave her even more money. Kent LePink, John Carlin, and a businessman named Scott Hilke were three of the men who received most of her attention. Michelle accepted engagement rings from LePink, Carlin, and Hilke, and was engaged to all three men at the same time. By 1996, Michelle had earned enough money to retire from stripping, enroll in classes at the University of Alaska Anchorage, and buy a home in Wasilla. Kent LePink often stayed at Michelle's house, and when Michelle invited Scott Hilke to also live with her, Hilke found the living arrangement strange, but he accepted it. Hilke discovered extensive dry rot in Michelle's house, and a building inspector told her she would need to move out of the house until it could be remodeled. Michelle mentioned the problem to her friend John Carlin, and Carlin, anxious to have Michelle closer to him, invited Michelle, Hilke, and LePink to move into his house in Anchorage and live with him and his son. Eventually, all three accepted Carlin's offer. But Hilke, who traveled for business, only stayed at Carlin's house infrequently when his work brought him to Alaska. The cast of characters in this story is a bit confusing, so let me give you a little more detail about the men in Michelle's life. Scott Hilke was a traveling businessman whose job often brought him to Alaska. Like the other men in this story, Scott met Michelle at the Great Alaskan Bush Company. Of the three men, Hilke was Michelle's favorite. While Scott did not have excess money to spend on Michelle, he did have a cache of frequent flyer miles and often flew Michelle to exotic resorts for romantic getaways. Hilke lived with Michelle for a while, but finally moved back to California. He and Michelle stayed in touch, though, and they frequently met for trysts. John Carlin, Michelle's second fiancé, was awarded $1.2 million in a legal settlement from a former employer in Philadelphia. The contractor supplied his workers with lead-based paint to paint a huge suspension bridge over the Delaware River, and Carlin suffered lead poisoning. With his small fortune, Carlin moved his wife and son to Alaska, but his wife died of natural causes soon after they arrived. Carlin bought a home in Anchorage, and he and his son, John Carlin IV, stayed in Alaska. When Carlin saw Michelle at the Great Alaskan Bush Company, he fell in love and began spending his money on her. Michelle's third fiancé was Kent LePink, and his family owned a successful chain of grocery stores in the Midwest. 
Kent started in the family business, but was fired after he embezzled $100,000. After losing his job, Kent met an Alaska commercial fisherman who invited Kent to work as a crewman on his fishing boat during the summer of 1993. Kent became enamored with the fishing industry and Alaska, and he convinced his father to give him money to buy his own fishing boat. Like her other suitors, Kent met Michelle at her place of work and fell in love. Despite his infatuation with Michelle, Kent was also attracted to men. He refused to have sex with Michelle until after they were married, even though he knew she was having affairs with the other men. Not long before his murder, Kent reportedly made advances toward young John Carlin IV. The overtures upset the boy and infuriated his father. John Carlin III called the police, but they did not pursue the case. John Carlin finally accepted that he and Michelle would never be more than friends, but Kent LePink told his family he would soon marry Michelle, and they were planning their wedding. Kent was jealous of Michelle's other suitors and often spied on her and read her emails. When she left town, he would drive through the airport parking lot to see if her car was parked there. Once, when she and Scott Hilke rendezvoused at a resort in Louisiana, Kent followed them, surprising them in their hotel room by serving them coffee in bed. Kent also spied on his other roommates and reportedly stole their possessions. The week before Kent's murder, Michelle met Scott at Lake Tahoe. Michelle told police that to throw Kent off their trail, she asked John Carlin to write her a note saying she and a friend were welcome to spend the weekend at his cabin near Hope, Alaska. In truth, Carlin did not own a cabin near Hope. At the bottom of the note, Michelle wrote a message thanking Carlin and asking him not to tell anyone else where she would be for the weekend. Michelle then left the note where Kent would see it. After Kent's death, troopers found this note in Kent's car. They believed Kent drove to Hope on the day of his murder to search for Carlin's non-existent cabin, and the authorities felt the real purpose of the note was to lure Kent into the wilderness near Hope, where Michelle and Carlin could kill him. I want to take a break from the story for a minute and thank the creative folks at the puzzle game app, Best Fiends, for sponsoring this podcast. I appreciate your support. I've been talking about Best Fiends for the last several months. I really got into the game this winter on my vacation, and I haven't stopped playing it since. As many of you know, my husband and I live in the middle of the wilderness on Kodiak Island, and these last two months have been extremely quiet out here. Both my husband and I love playing Best Fiends, and the game has been a welcome stress release, especially during these crazy times. I enjoy hanging out with my colorful little insect pals as we care for the plants and battle the slugs. I must admit, the big bombs are my favorite slug deterrent. Best Fiends challenges me with every puzzle, 
as I concentrate on completing the assigned task and the allotted number of moves. Each level takes only a few minutes to play, but you sometimes must replay the puzzle several times until you successfully conquer it. The slugs are tough to kill, and yes, I sometimes yell at them, but the game's vibrant shades and comical characters always make me smile. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. In February 1996, just three months before Kent LePink's murder, Michelle and Kent met with an insurance agent. They told the agent they were planning to take out a loan together to buy a fishing boat, and they needed to purchase life insurance policies to secure the loan. They wanted policies for $1 million each. The agent said he could write a million-dollar policy on Kent's life, but since Michelle would not be working on the fishing boat, and because she and Kent were not yet married, he could only write a $150,000 policy for her. Kent listed Michelle as the primary beneficiary on his policy, and he also changed his will, naming Michelle as the sole beneficiary of his property. Not long before he died, Kent confided to a lawyer that Michelle was cheating on him, had stolen some of his belongings, and had made large purchases on his credit card. The lawyer advised Kent to get out of the relationship because Michelle probably would never change. A few days later, Kent told another lawyer, I'm going to get killed. The lawyer urged Kent to move out of Carlin's house, and if the threat was real, to report it to the police. Kent was obsessed with Michelle, though. He could not leave her. Days before his death, Kent changed the beneficiary on his life insurance policy from Michelle to his parents. This change of beneficiary form was the one Trooper Pilch found in Kent's pocket at the murder scene. Two days after the discovery of Kent's body, his parents in Michigan received a package from Kent. Inside, they found a letter and a sealed envelope. The letter told them to open the envelope only if they thought something fishy had happened to him. His parents opened the sealed envelope and read what came to be known as Kent LePink's Letter from the Grave. In the letter, he said if he died under suspicious circumstances, they should suspect either Michelle Hughes, John Carlin, or Scott Hilke of his murder. He told his parents to take Michelle down, and he said he still loved her, but hoped she would spend a long time in prison. Kent's parents called Sergeant DeHart with the Alaska State Troopers and told him about the letter. Despite Kent's helpful letter suggesting a list of suspects for his murder, detectives had no direct evidence against anyone. They had no gun, no eyewitnesses, no fingerprints, no trace evidence, and no DNA. They also had no idea why Kent 
believed he was about to be killed. Not long after Kent's death, John Carlin and his son moved back to New Jersey. Carlin had squandered most of the $1 million insurance payout, spending much of it on Michelle. Scott Hilke ended his sporadic affair with Michelle and reunited with his estranged wife. Michelle moved back to New Orleans and enrolled at Loyola University. She worked several nights a week stripping at a local club. Michelle met Colin Linehan, a medical student at Tulane University. They married in the spring of 1998, and she gave birth to their daughter the following year. Colin was in the Army Reserve and became a military physician assigned to Madigan Army Medical Center at Joint Base Lewis-McChord near Tacoma, Washington. The young family lived in Olympia, Washington, and Michelle became a suburban housewife. She earned her master's degree and took a job as an intern at the Washington State Executive Ethics Board. Michelle was active in her daughter's school and her church and volunteered at a suicide crisis center. Nothing happened on the Kent LaPink murder case for nine years. In 2005, the file was assigned to the cold case unit and retired state trooper Detective Jim Stogsdill became the lead investigator. While reviewing the file, Stogsdill noted the troopers interviewed young John Carlin IV only in the presence of his father, because at the time the boy was a minor. Now John IV was 27 years old, and Stogsdill learned he and his father were estranged. Perhaps John IV would be willing to talk about the events surrounding the murder of Kent LaPink. Stogsdill and another cold case detective flew to Tacoma, Washington, where John Carlin IV now lived. They met him at his workplace, and Stogsdill noted the young man seemed nervous about the interview. Carlin told detectives his father purchased a Desert Eagle 44 Magnum shortly after their family moved to Alaska. He said after Kent LePink was shot, he saw his father washing the pistol in bleach in a bathroom sink, and his father told him washing a gun with bleach was a good way to get rid of evidence. Cold case detectives gave Michelle's laptop computer and the elder John Carlin's desktop computer to forensic experts to examine. Both computers were seized shortly after LePink's murder, but they were never thoroughly inspected. In the early fall of 2006, the cold case legal team presented their evidence to the Alaska grand jury. Although the case was circumstantial, the prosecutors felt they had enough evidence to convince the grand jury to indict Michelle Hughes, Linehan, and John Carlin III with conspiracy and first-degree murder. When Carlin heard the news, he flew from New Jersey to Anchorage and turned himself in at the Anchorage courthouse. On October 4, 2006, police officers went to the Linehan house in Olympia, Washington. Colin answered the door and said his wife was not home, so the police told him he had one hour to produce Michelle. 
she, her husband, and a lawyer arrived at the Olympia police station within the hour. And a few hours later, Michelle was on a plane headed to Anchorage. John Carlin III went to trial in March 2007. The case drew international media attention, and spectators and press packed the courtroom. How could the press ignore a story about a beautiful young doctor's wife, who was once a stripper, engaged to three men at the same time? At one point, she lived in a house with all three of them, and now... She was on trial for killing one of her fiancés. Kent's letter from the grave added more intrigue to the drama. According to the prosecution's theory of the murder, Michelle convinced Kent to buy a $1 million life insurance policy and make her the beneficiary. Then, Carlin murdered Kent with the understanding Michelle would give him a portion of the insurance payout. Michelle did not know Kent took her off the policy and made his parents the beneficiaries. The prosecutor claimed Michelle and Carlin borrowed their murder plan from the plot of the movie The Last Seduction. In the film, a woman persuades her lover to kill her husband so they can divide up his drug money. Carlin's defense attorney tried to convince the jury that greedy, manipulative Michelle pulled the trigger and killed Kent LePink. And her client, John Carlin, was just an unlucky guy caught in Michelle's web of deceit. The most damning testimony in the trial came from Carlin's son. When he testified, he saw his father washing a gun with bleach. In response, the defense produced witnesses who testified young John Carlin IV was a compulsive liar with an explosive temper. He also hated Kent LePink, and the defense suggested he could have been the murderer. The prosecution based much of its case on the deleted emails forensic experts recovered from Michelle's laptop and Carlin's desktop computer. The emails told the story of the conflict and intrigue in the Carlin household in the few months before LePink's murder. Some of the emails were vague. They might pertain to preparations for murder, or they could refer to something entirely different and innocent. The emails pinpointed the tension between the occupants of the house. Both Kent and Carlin read Michelle's emails, and both men were jealous of her relationship with Hilke. A March 17, 1996 email from Carlin to Michelle said, I will call you when it is in. The prosecution suggested this was a possible reference to the paperwork for the insurance policy. But the statement was so vague, it could have referred to anything. Carlin made a more suspicious statement in another email. Please remind me of the errands that must be taken care of with Kent. There are things that must be done. In a March 31st email from Michelle to Scott Hilke, she said she was about to come into a financial bonanza. She did not explain the source of this money. On April 24th, one week before Kent's murder, Carlin sent an email to Michelle saying, You will be fine, Michelle. Just give it a few weeks. 
Your life is about to get a lot better. You will see. The prosecution claimed Michelle was obsessed with money and would do anything she could to get more. And John Carlin III was obsessed with Michelle and would do anything she asked him to do. The jury deliberated for two days, and on April 3, 2007, they returned a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder. John Carlin III was sentenced to 99 years in prison making him eligible for parole in 33 years, when he would be 82 years old. Michelle's trial occurred in September 2007. One of the witnesses for the prosecution was another exotic dancer from the Great Alaskan Bush Company, who testified she and Michelle watched the movie The Last Seduction together, and Michelle told her she wanted to be just like the woman in the film. In the movie, the woman convinces her lover to murder her husband so they can steal his $700,000 in drug money. Police arrest the lover for the crime, and the woman walks away with the money. Scott Hilke testified the last seduction was one of Michelle's favorite movies, but he also suggested young John Carlin might have killed LePink. Hilke said when he called the South Anchorage home the day Michelle and the Carlins learned of LePink's murder, John Carlin IV told him someone murdered Kent and said he was gut shot. The troopers did not tell the Carlins and Michelle how LePink had been killed, so how did young John Carlin know this fact, unless he was present at the murder scene? Michelle's sister testified, saying after the murder, Michelle told her Kent deserved to die and should have been tortured. On October 22, 2007, jurors returned their verdict. They found Michelle guilty of first-degree murder. The ruling surprised many trial observers because they thought the prosecution presented a weak case. At Michelle's sentencing, the judge said he could see no difference between the puppet who pulls the trigger and the puppeteer who pulls the strings. He sentenced Michelle to 99 years in prison, the same sentence he gave John Carlin. John Carlin III was incarcerated at Spring Creek Correctional Center, a maximum security men's prison in Seward. He did not do well in jail because he was a racist who enjoyed starting arguments. When four inmates beat him up, the guards placed Carlin in protective custody. As soon as he returned to the general population, a prisoner again attacked him. On October 27, 2008, one or more inmates beat Carlin to death. Before Carlin died, his attorney filed an appeal to overturn his conviction. Since Carlin's murder occurred before his appeal could be heard, the court was forced to vacate his conviction. Michelle's family hired two of Anchorage's best attorneys to handle her appeal. They argued the judge allowed inappropriate evidence, including testimony about the movie The Last Seduction and Kent's letter from the grave. They said since the defense lawyers could not cross-examine Kent about the letter, 
it should never have been presented as evidence. The appeals court agreed with Michelle's lawyers and said neither the testimony about the movie nor the letter from the grave should have been allowed in the trial. The court overturned her conviction and threw out her indictment. Prosecutors could still try Michelle again, but they decided they did not have enough evidence for another indictment. Michelle was allowed to return to her life as a soccer mom in Olympia, Washington. Michelle now operates Tacoma Lasers Clinic in Tacoma, Washington. It seems likely one of the residents of Carlin's South Anchorage home murdered Kent LePink. But was it John Carlin III carrying out Michelle's wishes? John Carlin IV? Or was it Michelle? We probably will never know the answer. But there is no doubt the web of seduction and jealousy Michelle Hughes weaved around her fiancés created a toxic environment and spawned the murder. Thank you to my patrons for supporting my podcast. I appreciate you very much. If you would like to become a patron, please join the Last Frontier Club, where you can listen to extra episodes of this podcast. The grand opening of the club lasts until the end of June, so sign up soon to be entered into a drawing for free merchandise and more. You can find the link to the Last Frontier Club in my show notes or simply go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and search for Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back soon with the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier.